Hello, everyone. Before I start the show properly, I need to make a quick announcement. This was supposed to be an episode in which I discussed American Gothic from 1988 with my super special guest, Manuel Canary from the Wild Angel, the Films of Roger, po- uh, Films of Roger Corman podcast. However, the file corrupted, and I only just found that out after recording this intro section and some other sections. I am scrambling to put another show together. Therefore, I'm not going to go in and edit out, you know, with a laser razor. Laser razor? Sure, why not? The times I mention Manuel or American Gothic. So let's just, just accept that that is what it is. I have rescheduled with Manuel for the weekend of October 8th, somewhere around there. So you will be getting it, and I'm heartbroken about this. Manuel was an incredible guest, charming, funny, and a real sweetheart, and the discussion was genuinely one of my favorites that I've ever had on this show. So this pains me, but this is also what happens. You know, it's the curse of the podcaster. These things do happen, and there is nothing you can do about it. So that much said, instead of American Gothic, you're going to be getting a discussion of the new Blair Witch movie and a crapshoot featuring a movie called The Human Race. So sit back, relax, take your shoes off, unbuckle your belt, slide your trousers down to your knees. Trousers? How old am I? Forget it. Just enjoy the show, everybody. Thanks for your patience. Hello. My name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 158, and tonight we are joined by the handsome toasts of the San Francisco scene, Mr. Manuel Canary. He's also the host of the Wild Angel, the films of Roger Corman's podcast. You're going to love him. Because we're going to be talking about American Gothic from 1988, which is a movie I hated the first time I saw it. Has my opinion changed? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you yet because the show hasn't started yet. Oh yeah, the show hasn't started yet because I haven't played a promo for some other podcast, which I will do right about now. So hello again, everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome. It's wonderful to be in your cum. Penny, again, that was the weakest innuendo I could possibly come up with. And yet, I'm putting it out on the air. So here we are. Hi, everyone. My name is Patrick. For those of you who are new, I'm going to be your host for the next 90 minutes or so. And I will be your guide to the wonderful world of horror. But as seen through my very gay little eyes. So suck it up, buttercups, because it's going to be a party. It's going to be a party. Uh, uh, uh. So, what has been going on in Scream Queen's headquarters since last we chatted? Well, I have been very busy because my play is now open. Uh, it's the Underpants Godot. I've talked about that a lot on here. And it's been going really well. 
It's been a very hectic 10 days. You know, Tech Week is always a challenge. Mentally, physically, all that stuff. And then opening weekend, we did, I think, six shows in a row. So daddy's a little worn out. Was it worth it? Absolutely. We had a show last night up against the debates, and I thought, my God, nobody's going to be here. But not thinking that it's a Monday night. This is when all the theater people come out because they normally don't have shows on Monday. So we were packed full of an audience that got this show because the Underpants Godot is a satire on the state of theater. It's not a production of Waiting for Godot. It's about a production of Waiting for Godot, of which I am the sleazy, kind of not-so-bright director of, and I have to battle to save my production from being shut down. What? That's terrible. But, oh, it was so fun. So fun. Just let's get some of the gossip out of the way. Now, there's tons of nudity in the show. It's a gay-themed production of Godot that I'm trying to put on where the guys wear underpants and just underpants most of the time and occasionally the penises fall out like you do, like happens whatever happens so, fun thing Dan Dominguez's nightmare came true for me, although it happened to me at a dress rehearsal I farted on stage Dan Dominguez, if you're new, is a listener. He's also an actor. And we, it's, it's, you know what? It's a long story. I, you can figure it out. He's afraid of farting on stage. Okay? As we all are. But, yeah. So I'm fighting to save my show. The woman who's trying to shut it down, she turns to me and she says, What I can't stand, Mr. Albert, is your mendacity. And I'm supposed to turn and offer her a witty retort. Instead, I turned and I farted. Not a big one, not a big one. Just one of my little patented pop farts, and, a, and it was there, and it was quiet. But it was quiet, and, you know. It, while it was quiet, it was loud enough and quiet enough elsewhere in the room that everybody knew, and everything just kind of stopped right then. And the director and the writer of the play says, "You know what? That's actually a better answer than what I wrote. Can you leave that in?" I said, "No, Duncan. No, I cannot leave that in. I'm not leaving a fart in. I don't think I can do that on cue." Even if I wanted to. I don't think Mr. Brad could do that on cue. I know people who can, and I find that extremely terrifying. One of the things that I think is a fun little added addition this year, and it's completely accidental. Roberto, who plays one of the two leads in the show, one of the two guys who's actually cast in this production of Godot that I've put on, he's one of the boys in his underpants. And his are a particularly tattered pair. He has to kind of make them himself every night because, well, let's just say they get torn off at some point. But there comes a point where they need to just fall down around his ankles. Now, that's normally been facilitated. It comes to a point in the script where they're talking about the characters in Godot are talking about hanging themselves and his underpants are held up by a bit of rope. So he's like, hey, I've got a bit of rope here. Maybe we can hang ourselves with this. He takes the rope off. His panties fall down. Wackiness ensues. But what's been happening? He's been, <laughs> his heart. He's been making them a little tighter than usual. You know, because, you know, vanity. Gotta look good, even in your underpants. You can't have no soggy panties when you're standing up there for 90 minutes. But what happens now? He takes the belt off and they don't fall right away. Now they do this kind of slow 
shuffled down, and now this is added suspense to the whole thing. Are they going to fall down? Are they not going to fall down? They always fall down, but, you know, as an audience member, now I'm not paying attention to anything anyone is saying or doing on stage because I'm just thinking, am I going to see cock right now? Am I going to see cock right now? Is this cock going to fall out? Is this supposed to happen? Because now it doesn't look deliberate. I love it. <laughs> Even me, who's watching the scene, I'm like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And I'm also trying not to stare at his crotch. Because I'm a professional. I'm trying to look him in the face while, like, out of my peripherals, check to see if his penis is going to flop out. That's theater. This is why we do it live. This is why we do it live, because just for tense moments like this. Now, this other night, not last night, this other night... We had a group of boozy middle-aged broads show up, and I think they're probably subscribers to the theater, so they come to everything, and they didn't really know what they were in for, so they were drunk when they got there, and anytime anything got a little saucy or a little naked, you'd just hear, oh my god, oh my god, do you see that? Oh my god, I can see his thing. Can you see his thing? Oh my god, oh, oh, this disgusting, oh, it's disgusting penises, ugh. They were losing their shit at that point. Oh, my God. Oh, 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 That's all I'm hearing the whole time. I'm like, are you fingering yourself? Are you fingering yourself at my play? Because that is what it sounds like right now. If you are, hey, whatever gets you through the show, but take it down a little bit. This is the dramatic high point of the play right now. And I want to thank... Our beloved Doug Shapiro, he came to see the show on Sunday night, which was a particularly quiet audience. People either get this show or they don't. They don't really realize that it's a comedy, and I guess it's really, really a comedy if you know your theater and if you're an actor or, or a director or whatever. You, if you're in the business, you're going to get a lot of the jokes more than the average Joe would. And this particular, there's this monologue, not mine. I have my own monologue, but there's a particularly fabulous monologue that Jason Pintar, I know you're not listening, but Jason Pintar delivers it. At the end of it, the audience breaks into applause because it's that amazing and that funny and that off the wall. And... Jason got to the end of the monologue and Doug just went, ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> clapped twice and then realized nobody else was applauding and there's that awkward silence with that person. And it was adorable. Doug came up to Jason afterwards and he just wanted to apologize. He's like, Jason, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to ruin your moment <laughs> with the sound of one Jew clapping. So that's come a thing between Doug and I. Oh my gosh, it was an OJC situation. Oh my goodness, you don't want the curse of the OJC. No, sir. No, sir. But hey, if you're in the New York area, we're running for another weekend. Head on over to www.underpantsgodot.com and that's G-O-D-O-T if you don't know how to spell it, which is a perfectly valid thing. It's French and it's weird. I know listener Vanessa's coming this weekend. I got some other listeners coming this weekend. Join the club. See me naked, maybe. Does he get naked? You know, I, I prefer to keep people in suspense on that. Doug, Doug said, I was on the edge of my seat. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? There was a play on Broadway a good 10 years ago, Salome, starring Marissa Tomei, who we love. She's a goddess. In which she played the biblical dancer who got John the Baptist's head cut off. Now, the highlight of the play was her doing the dance that her dad 
rewards her with with the head. She does such a great sexy dance. It's like, hey, that was beautiful. I'm so aroused. Here's a severed head on a silver platter. She had said, I may take my top off. I may not. And it varied from night to night. So you never knew whether or not Marissa Tomei was going to get her norks out or not. And you will have to come and see the show to find out whether or not my norks are out. Maybe that will keep you away. I don't know. I would like to think you would like to see my norks. Whatever. Whatever. Hey, a bomb exploded in my city. That was not cool. What was cool was to see how many of the Scream Queens community, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, stepped up and said, Patrick, are you okay? Obviously, I am okay. Most people were okay. It turned out to be not that big a deal because we're New Yorkers. We just get on with things. But a lot of you stepped up and were genuinely worried. And I could see why, given how the event was covered in the press in the rest of the world, making it sound like there was a massacre here. But honestly, this kind of thing does kind of happen here all the time in some way, shape, or form. And we're used to it. And it doesn't tear us down. It brings us together. Not that that's an encouragement to come bomb my city. Please don't bomb my city. That's not okay. Now, I, normally I would say, I live in Queens. I was nowhere near the event. But actually, it turns out I was somewhat near the event. I had gone drinking at the Monster for happy hour. Because on Saturdays, between the hours of 6 and 9, you can get $5 frozen margaritas. And listen to the fabulous sounds of my friend Jimmy Haran at the piano, butchering show tune after show tune. Now, you got to understand, Jimmy and I go way back. Go way back. We did vaudeville together, and our rivalry has gone on through the centuries. It's kind of a whole Ethel Merman, Mary Martin kind of thing. And we, I love him. He hates me. Whatever. But that's not the point right now. But I had left at about 8.15 because I was shit-faced because these things are lethal. And really, what's the point of staying past 9? I'm not going to be paying $20 for a drink that I just got for 5 That's just dumb. What, and there's a new piano player on? I don't need any of that shit. So I was on the one train going home, and the one train was going right past there just about that time. Did it affect me? No, I didn't hear about it till I got home. But I could have been killed. No, I couldn't have been. I couldn't have been. Nice try. Nice try, bomber guy. See you in prison. So I have a mild update on the whole gay gate experience. Now, that's what I have dubbed the incident that I talked about. I think it was on the last show. might have been the show before. In which, when my visiting Irish relatives were here, my dad interrupted my night out with them to tell me to go home because he was concerned somehow. He thought I was getting drunk. And when I get drunk, I get to like that. I start acting that way. You know, that way. Now, I haven't spoken to my parents since. I've... It was... uh, I've paraphrased the whole situation, but it was all very hurtful and terrible and not okay. Now, my niece, Caitlin, came to see the show on opening night. Bless her heart. Bless her heart, because opening night was rough. But she was there, and she gave me an update on the scoop on what the rest of the family has been told about why Patrick has been missing. Now, according to the family gossip, it was 2.30 in the morning. 
and I was intoxicated and making a scene. Stormed off in a huff. Did I storm off in a huff? Yes. It was nine o'clock. I still happen to have my ticket from the Long Island Railroad in my wallet. And I took it out in front of Caitlin. I said, let's just examine this for a minute. Let's see when this ticket, this was my ticket home on the day in question. When was it purchased? Oh, look, nine o'clock. Lives, lives, lives. See, the presidential election process is not the only place where propaganda is being flung. But this, I don't know, my family, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to talk about it on your podcast. But let's talk about... Now, I haven't been able to watch a whole heck of a lot of stuff since our last episode because, as I've said, I've been in rehearsal hell and in performance. And, well, you know, it just takes up a lot of time. So I haven't been able to watch a lot of new, new things. However, I do want to give a special shout-out to listener and one-time guest host Ben Schur. You'll remember him from the Flowers in the Attic episode. He was one of the developers on the CBS two-part special, The Case of John JonBenet Ramsey. I am not a big fan of murder porn. I find it boring and tedious and usually exploitative, and it never really answers any of the questions that it asks and asks, and usually the questions are kind of specious as it is. So I went into this a little bit hesitantly. Now, the other thing you should know, if I was not doing the career that I'm in, if I had not become an actor, I was initially planning a career in criminal psychology, and I did study that for a while. Uh, everybody in my family that is not an accountant, they're some kind of law enforcement. They're a police detective. They are... FBI, they are Secret Service, and things like that. Smoochie, please. Smoochie's eating my notes again. We love cats. But I went into the case of John Bonet Ramsey with a bit of trepidation. And I had to say, the first half hour I thought was a little dodgy because they're dealing with uh, audio tapes of their 911 calls. And I wasn't hearing the words that they were hearing. when they examine these calls more closely. And I also realized I'm also not listening to it with headphones because I know during this podcast, things sound a million times different with headphones than they do without. But however, once we got past that, the forensic work on this was excellent, intriguing, disturbing, and a really well-made special. So congratulations to you, Ben Sure, I get you, Ben Sure. Oh, yeah, and I watched some of Big Brother until I gave up about four episodes before it was over because who the hell cares? One of the worst seasons ever in a season in, in, in like the past four years have been the worst seasons ever and then just keep getting progressively worse. Why do I do this to myself? I'm not doing the online thing. Trey Dean is sucker. But I am walking away from this and damn you, Brian and Allison from I'm Not Here to Make Friends for getting me into the show in the first place. Let's talk about my pussy. I want to thank Listeners, Jay and Dave from Boulder, Colorado, for their fabulous gift. Not for me, but for Smoochie. They bought her, oh golly, I don't have the product name in front of me. It's the special tray, this feeding tray 
that help their big fat cat lose a lot of weight. Now, the thing with this tray, I don't want to call it a bowl, it kind of looks like the back of those advanced turtle things, those Goomba things from Mario Brothers with the spikes. It's plastic, and it's got these um, hard plastic rounded spikes in it at various heights. And you put the kibble in there, and now they have to work to get it out. And it's supposed to stimulate their hunting desire. It's supposed to make them eat less because they have to work harder for it and thus lose weight. Now, I took some video of it, which I wound up not posting anywhere, of her first experience in it. I put it down, I put kibble in it, and she just stared at it for two minutes. And I tried to show her how it worked. I'm pushing kibble around, being pussy daddy. And please never call me that. That sounded horrible. Not the point right now. I'm pushing kibble around. Ooh, smoochy. Get look at tasty food. And she just was not having it. So I gave up and I walked away. And of course, as soon as I walked away, she started to figure it out. So I got the camera out again. She got a couple of pieces out. And I was very proud of her. I said, great. I turned the camera off. And that's when she really figured it out. That's when Miss 25-pound teen titan of the roller derby rink stood up on her back paws, slammed her front paws onto one side of the tray, sending and flipping into the air, spraying kibble everywhere, which she then ate off the ground, all of it, instead of the measured portion she was supposed to. I said, okay, this bitch is smart, and she figured out this whole thing. So, boys, thank you so much for the gift. I'm going to see if I can get her trained on this thing, but she seems to have figured out how to defeat my attempt to outsmart her, but for stepping up to the plate, for being fabulous, for thinking about my big fat pussy and how to get my big fat pussy more healthy and slim and fabulous, you boys are the scream queens of the week. Congratulations. I love you. I love the gift. Thank you for the gift. I was jumping around and dancing because it was on my wish list, which I guess you knew, which is how you, so I don't know. I don't know. Are you snooping me? Are you stalking me? I don't care. I don't care. I like it. It turns me on. I'll be your unicorn. What? What? And the straight people are like, what? What did he just say? Nothing. Nothing. I said nothing. But as you know, the prize for winning Scream Queen of the Week is a tiara. But there's two of you. I can't give you a tiara for you to share. I mean, what if you broke it? What if you snapped it in half so that you could both wear it? What if this caused you guys to break up? What if my tiara was impetus? For the end of your relationship. I can't have that on my conscience. And plus, all tiaras are mine. You were never fucking getting it anyway. I love you. Now, one more thing before we start this show. I It's come to my attention that since I have been living alone and living single, instead of becoming like a swinging, cool New York City bachelor, I'm kind of becoming creepy cat guy. And that's okay. If that's my journey, that's my journey. But I caught myself the other day. Now, when I was a kid, often I would unconsciously write lyrics to TV show themes that don't have any. That I still remember. You know, there was Chris and Mary Beth, Cagney and Lacey, Chris and Mary Beth, Cagney and Lacey, and 
Entertainment tonight, it's coming on right now. Entertainment tonight, it's coming on right now. Well, now I've discovered something new. I was re-watching Angel on DVD. I haven't watched it since the first time I bought the DVDs because I didn't watch the show when it was on. I haven't seen it since. So it's like watching everything new. But I realized while the theme song was on, now I'm meowing theme songs. I'm not writing lyrics anymore. I'm just meowing. What the fuck is wrong with me? Somebody hate me. Uh, clearly, I need a date. Somebody date me, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm a middle-aged gay man who's obsessed with his cat, wears a CPAP mask, and has a two-tone dental guard. Love me. Come and get me. All right, it is time to start the show. Let's play a little really embarrassing bit of music, and let's meet Manuel Canary and talk about American Gothic. Yay! Okay, the latest big studio release in the theaters right now is the remake slash sequel of the original film, The Blair Witch Project, and this is simply just called Blair Witch. Now, I adored the first film. For all of its faults, for all of its flaws, I thought actually that's what makes it great. It's an incredible example of guerrilla filmmaking, whereas this one is just well, it's not that. As a matter, can we just call it Blah Witch from now on? Because I got to see this on opening night with Mr. Brad. And for an opening night in Manhattan, the theater was empty. There was maybe 10 people in there, and that should have been a warning sign that things were not going to go well. And they didn't go well. And the story itself, eh, it's about Heather's brother. Heather, who disappeared in the first film. Her brother decides to head off in the woods to look for her again because a new video was found. Not of that original time, but it's some other video that somebody else took. We don't know who, but there's a figure in it that just might be his long-lost sister. So he gathers... I think it's his girlfriend? Anyway, and his childhood friend and his girlfriend to go off into the woods but before they do they pick up another two characters it's another couple and they discovered this second piece of footage that uh, had the image of possibly his sister in it this movie is terrible this movie fails on every level and i'm really disappointed i i understand uh adam wingert who i i, I love his work i loved his movie so far and i get you want to do the bigger budget more mainstream things to get yourself out there, but it's, you might sell yourself for cash. And man, this is just bad. What's the problem with it? The biggest problem, the one that murders them, dead in the water, from the minute this movie starts out, is the technology. Sure, it's what, you know, 15 years later, 16 years later. 
there have been advances. Maybe they can make the movie better. They don't. They don't at all. There was a simplicity of the first film that worked because now instead of just two or three cameras, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, at least eight different high-tech cameras, including a drone, two handheld cameras, and I think everybody, at least four of the six, have these earpiece cameras. Now I get that, I understand that in theory because now you don't have to say, why don't they put the camera down when they're running around? They don't have to put it down because they're wearing it. The problem is, is that this makes for incredibly unsteady shots in shots that don't need to be unsteady. And if this wasn't bad enough, whoever edited this thought they were editing a music video because there's no shot that lasts more than two or three seconds. So if a, con if, if a group of, let's say six people are having a conversation, you're bopping back and forth between six cameras at lightning speed. And it makes it very difficult, A, to follow what's going on, B, to connect to anybody because I had to keep looking away going, God, what are you doing? My head. This is just a scene of people having a you know, normal, boring conversation. We don't need bam, 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 slap dash editing. And if this itself is found footage, who edited this like this? This is insanity. And as a result, I never connected to the movie, I never connected to the characters, and I couldn't follow the story. And if you can't tell your story in a coherent fashion, you have failed. And this movie fails, and it fails hard. That much said, nothing else is really that good either. I mean, the characters themselves are as bland, 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 bland. We really don't know anything about them except for the fact that this is Heather's brother. And these are his friends. That's about it. For the most part, they don't have any unique character traits. I don't know, I don't know why they're coming along. I don't know what they're adding to all of this. And I'm guessing that based on the you know many 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 found footage films that have happened since the Blair Witch Project hit the scene I'm guessing that the life of a documentary filmmaker is the most dangerous career choice of all I mean it's got to be worse than like a war reporter or an undercover drug cop because, man, if you're making a documentary film, you're probably going to die. Because, spoiler, nobody makes it. You're probably not surprised. It's a Blair Witch movie. Nobody really makes it out of these things. Especially if you're going to stick pretty much exactly to the original movie and not give me anything new. Which they don't. There's barely anything new, and what they have is paltry. So, while I'm trying to decipher who's speaking and what visually is going on, you're not even giving me anything new or interesting to digest. So I spent most of the movie feeling like I've seen this all before and I know exactly how all this is going to go down. Boo and boo. There's time issues. I don't really understand how this guy in his 20s has such an attachment to his 
sister. They seem to be juggling the dates a lot. They talk about these children being out in the search parties in the woods, which by my count, these kids are mid-20s. What, were you five? Were you six? Were you seven? Stomping around in the woods? I don't think so. That's just weird. They introduce some of the folklore from the first film. They talk about things like the little girl who got drowned in the 1800s or whatever that story was. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but they fucked it up. They fucked up exactly the girl who recounts the story. It's like, oh, her mother was doing laundry and you know, she saw this. Well, that's not what happened because I have that documentary that you put out on the Sci-Fi Channel. We spent a good time on that story, and that's not how it went down. So if you're not even getting your own folk- folklore right, and this is a minor point, why did you bother changing it? It's just like we didn't, nobody cared. Nobody cared. Everybody in the movie feels like they just came out of central casting. I don't believe any of this is actually happening. Not that I believed the other one was happening, but there was an element to it, the actors in that original film. So this is something you can't do anymore because we're all too wise now as a result of it. They didn't know what was happening to them. I mean, they, yes, they knew they were in a movie and they got clues what to do every day and a GPS thing and a map of places to go. But, you know, as time went on, they got less and less food. Directions became more and more scarce. And Heather herself has said there were points where we began to fear that we were in some kind of a snuff film. So you're seeing physical wear and tear, emotional wear and tear, exhaustion, being out in the woods in the cold and the rain for days and days and days. It doesn't happen here. I don't believe for a second that there is not a glamping tent set up right next to where any given scene is being shot. I don't Actually, I don't believe that you're not being bussed back to the Hilton every day. I didn't believe anything, not for a second. I wanted to believe. I went in with an open mind. I'd I'd heard meh reviews, thank you, Tradine. I'd heard that the camera work was particularly awful and was going to give me headaches, so I made sure that Mr. Brad and I sat in the back, and it didn't help. And by focusing on these particular four characters, who are so bland and so poorly underwritten and given nothing to do was a mistake. It might have been a little better had they focused on the other two, the two that they picked up, the the couple that found the second set of footage. They had some quirks. They were not cookie-cutter horror movie characters. I think perhaps if they had been the focus, things might have been a little more interesting because I didn't care. I just didn't care. Yes, the suspense does ratchet up in the last 10 minutes, but if I have to wait that long and even then be struggling to figure out what's going on or to care, you failed. And that makes me sad. And I think at this point, it's more or less gone from the theaters because I know it tanked and it tanked hard. And for many of you, I was too late to save you. Now, going to the movies with Mr. Brad is always an experience in and of itself. Usually, he does something unintentionally hilarious or, you know, he releases bodily gases or something happens here. This 
was something new because Mr. Brad was like Super Boy Scout when he was growing up. So watching him, watching this movie was a trip because he'd start smacking his little knees with his monkey paws and be shaking his head going, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope, that's not, nope, nope, you never do that. No, that is something that you never do. And afterwards, he gave me the whole lowdown. He said these people were going to die even if a witch didn't show up. First of all, they didn't mark any of their trails. Maybe that wouldn't have been such a big deal before they got to the river when they were still in the part of the forest that people used. But once you got into the woods where you, the characters say that people have not been for 15 years and there are no trails, you better damn well be marking your way or you're going to die out there. And they didn't do that. And you never, ever, ever, ever cross a river or a stream barefoot for exactly that reason because you can't see the bottom there might be twigs there might be sharp rocks there might be glass there might be anything down there to cut your feet and then you're going to be stuck out in the wilderness bleeding out and educated and they didn't dig a latrine when they got to camp and now he's just on a roll he's just going on because you know when you dig a latrine you got to do it like this because the whole reason you do that is that so when you poop you can bury it because if you don't bury your poop then you know you might be attracting bears or or any kind of like wild animals or those i kept hearing wolves or coyotes or something and they if, if you don't cover your poop then wolves are going to come and they're going to eat your face while you're sleeping uh-huh uh-huh mama was on a roll mama bradford was on a roll and he hated it even more than I did for that reason. He had no emotional investment in the first one. He saw parts of the first one, but it was not his cup of tea. It was too much for him, and I understand that. So we walked away from that, and that's cool. But getting the Boy Scouts' point of view on how these people were fucked from the minute they left the gate, that was kind of cool. And I was also very proud of Mr. Brad because there is a scene in the climax where one of the characters is crawling through one of those teeny tiny tunnels and it's muddy and it's goopy and it's gloppy and she gets stuck. And if you've been listening for a long time, Bradford is extremely claustrophobic. And every time he sees this in a movie, he loses his mind. And if you ask him what's so scary about it, he's like, because I used to see them Habit Trail commercials when I was a kid and I would get so scared that the, 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 the gerbils... Or the hamsters, whatever you put in a hamster. I guess it's a hamster. The hamsters would get stuck in those tunnels and they'd just suffocate and they'd die. I see. So you're afraid that the person in the movie is going to get habit trail to death. Yeah, yes. But Mr. Brad buckled down through the scene. He's growing. He's growing. Horror movies are teaching him to get past his fears. Or at least me making fun of him about being afraid of exploding gerbils in a habit trail. Or in Richard Gere's butt. Whatever. I got nothing. Wait, what, what are we talking about? Are we talking about Blair Witch? Let's talk about some more Blair Witch things. Ooh. Maybe it'll be easier to watch on home video. Maybe. But if Blair Witch 2 is better than your big budget sequel, you got, you got problems. Now, Blair Witch 2, I did not care for. I like that we got away from found footage and we did something else with it. But on the DVD of that movie, which is fascinating, is the director's commentary. And that is worth a watch. And you can hear how the studio fucked up his movie. He, had a, he made a completely different movie with a completely different story. And the studio came in and shot 
many, many scenes without him. And he'll say, like, this scene that's happening right now, I never shot this. Nobody told me about this. I did not find that. This scene happened until I was at the premiere. This is not my movie. And this just regurgitates everything from the first film in pretty much the most bland way possible. Yes, you do get to see the Blair Witch or something that could be the Blair Witch. And that's kind of cool. But at that point, I just didn't care. And I don't care to talk about this movie anymore. So Blair Witch, blah, witch, Blair Witch, ha, Blair. Why don't you think I'm scary, Blair? I'm doing Cousin Jerry now. And when I'm doing Cousin Jerry from the Facts of Life, it is time to not talk about a movie anymore. Good night. Good night. Let's play the trailer for the human race instead. Okay, okay. Only one may win. If you are lapped twice, you will die. Stay on the path, or you will die. Do not touch the grass, or you will die. Follow the arrows, or you will die. Ready, steady, go! It's said if we're lapped, we die. Dector! Right. Josh, listen to me. What's right is you and I getting out of this in one piece. Those kids included. Everyone needs to stop right here. Continue to race. People are going to die. God makes a journey for all of us. 79, 78. He's testing us. 70, 69, 68. How does someone's head explode like that? 59, 52, 57. We work together. We can beat this thing. 50, 49, 48. 47, 46. <laughs> 35. 34. Die! Die already! 26. Jesus Christ. He's gonna try to kill us all. 10. 9. No. 8. 7. No, you don't have 5. To. 4. No. 2. 1. So the human race is... Actually, I don't know the year it's made because, like I said, I'm rushing to get this out. But it's a new movie and it is officially a crap shoot selection. I don't have time to add the bumper because the clock is ticking to get this show out to you on my deadline after losing the precious precious audio Manuel Canary uh, still heartbroken man anyway now for those of you who are new to the show the crapshoot is the section where I dive head first into that vast sea of direct-to-video horror movie releases in search of that diamond in the shit pile did I find it this time well yeah, I kind of did. It's an uncut diamond, rough around the edges and not polished, but a diamond is a diamond is a diamond. Now, this was an extremely low-budget movie. It was a Kickstarter project, and apparently it took them three years to finish shooting on the film, and that does kind of show. That much said, much like last week's selection, Chill, The Killing Games... The movie, the title I got wrong of every time I said it last time, because it's not The Killing Game, it's The Killing Games, which is weird because there's only one game being played, but that's what happens when somebody picks up your film for distribution, you lose control of the title of your movie, but that's not the point right now. Are we talking about Chill the Killing Games? No, we're talking about the human race. Now, in this movie, 80 everyday people, 
suddenly find themselves whisked away in a flash of white light to where they're in this, well, it's this weird nether world. It looks like suburbia, but there's nobody there, and it's just very strange. And they're hearing voices in their heads, except the voice that they hear is their own. And that voice explains the rules of what's about to happen. The school, the house, and the prison are safe. Follow the arrows or you die. Stay on the path or you die. Don't touch the grass or you die. Race or you will die. There will be only one winner. And they're off. So this was cool. It's a little bit Hunger Games, a little bit Battle Royale, a little bit, uh, what was that? Oh, The Long Walk. Stephen King's short story, The Long Walk. Novella, sorry. And like I said, there are telltale signs of the low budget, ultra low budget production. Some of the acting is not good. The special effects are super CGI. And sometimes the storytelling gets a bit muddy. That much said, there is some genuine tension here. Some genuine suspense. Now, of course, we don't meet all 80 characters. Oh, the other thing that the, the only other thing, information that they get is a countdown in their head the current number of how many players are left alive in their own voice and in their own language. Now, in this Motley crew, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of characters that we get to meet and spend some time with, but the main focus are two ex-military guys who, well, they didn't serve together, but you know, one rescued the other in the war, and they've remained friends and they're here together in this. They're our main focus. But we learn early on not to get attached to anyone because this movie does not have a problem sacrificing sympathetic characters when you least expect it, including your main characters. So in this mess, we also get a pregnant lady. We get a, a former uh, Tour de France winner. We've got two Asian school children, a priest and a deaf couple. These are the people that we spend a lot of time with until their heads blow up. Because, yeah, when you die in this, your head blows up. And we get lots and lots of splatty CGI heads exploding. Heads exploding left and right. And as the game progresses and the need to survive takes over, human nature begins to come out and not only are we competing against the race we're competing against people who are murdering people on purpose i guess you can't murder people by accident but you know what i mean i enjoyed this movie i enjoyed it a lot and i want to thank emily from the deadly dolls blog for bringing it up on facebook in the first place otherwise i would have no idea of his existence whatsoever and as the movie progresses both the storytelling and the camera work improves remarkably. 
things get a lot more leaner and cleaner. I guess because we're not trying to track 80 people, which we really don't do. At no point do I believe there's 80 people in this movie. But they do a nice job of making you feel like that. And there were times where I was, you know, white knuckling and nail biting, which is hard to do when you're white knuckling at the same time because your nails, but never mind. You know, just shut up. Just shut up. Work with me here. I don't really recognize any of the cast. Apparently, one of the leads, uh, one of the uh, vets who is an amputee, he only has one leg, is a former winner of Big Brother, the first winner of American Big Brother. Thank you, Tradine, again for that tidbit of information. Having people with disabilities in this was a nice turn of events, and his presence in it does not feel like a gimmick. And there are others. There's a guy in a walker. There's older people. There's, you know, like I said, children. And so people who already have the decks, the deck stacked against them the second the game begins. And oh, what a game it is. Why are they there? How did they get there? What's going on? That almost doesn't matter. And unfortunately, in the very, very end, when you get an explanation of what's going on, it's pretty much an eye roller. Not so much what it is because you can kind of figure out what's going on 80 people got abducted in a white light Jay, I wonder what happened could it be aliens spoiler doesn't really matter because the race is what's important but the how the information is conveyed to you is kind of eye-rollingly lame but like I said for a movie I had no expectations for and knew nothing about I was very 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 pleasantly surprised if you can get through the first half hour because it's a while before the race starts you meet a whole bunch of characters and one of the characters we meet is a girl named veronica and in the space of five minutes and i understand this is to expedite the story she loses a sister to cancer gets diagnosed with cancer gets into physical fitness to fight the cancer and goes into complete remission all in five minutes. It was a lot to take in very quickly. And how it's presented is kind of hilariously bad in its own right. She's sitting in the doctor's office, in the hospital, waiting for the doctor. The doctor comes in and he's like, I'm sorry, I discovered that you have lymphoma. She goes, I know, it killed my sister and my mother. And he goes, well, we can give you chemo. Because that's how that conversation would go down. But I get it. I get it. We're just speeding through to get to the race, which we don't speed to get to. So, but anyway, I get why they did what they did. And when you see the movie, you'll understand why they did this particular thing. And I think it's fun. I think it's low-budget filmmaking by the seat of your pants, filming it much in the way that Evil Dead did over the space of many, many years. <laughs> And still coming out with a quality product. So The Human Race, it's only on DVD on Netflix. You have to be on the DVD service to get it. But if it stumbles across on TV, check it out. I give it a recommend. Human Race. Can I just tell you, I just got the pun in the title right now. Because it's a commentary on, this, on the psyche of the human race. As well as being a movie with... You already got it didn't you? You already got it. It's about people racing each other and it's, forget it. Oh my God. Play the music. Get me out of here. Oh my God. This is what happens when audio goes bad. Don't hate me. Don't hate me. Don't hate me. Smoochie hates me enough as it is. Well, I'd rather see a dead little girl than to be with 
Since I don't have any voicemails this week, guilt trip, guilt trip, that's going to wrap this show up for another episode. Now, I'm not particularly disheartened that I'm not getting voicemails. Yes, I'm sad. I'm sad that I'm not getting voicemails like I used to, but I've noticed that conversation has increased elsewhere. I mean, the amount of people in the Facebook group goes up exponentially every week, more and more Twitter followers every week and lots more conversation than there has been in the past. So I know you guys are out there. It would be nice to hear your voice every now and then. Could, would it kill you to call? Would it kill you to call your mother? Or your daddy? Whatever you think I am. I'm a little of both. As I said before, I'm your daddy mama. Mama, daddy. I got nothing. I don't know. But I did get a message from Chelsea because I had posted. Listener Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. Uh, just on the Facebook page. She had commented on my quickie review of the Blair Witch there. And she's like, well, that's too bad, but I'm going to go see it anyway. I said, I tried to warn you. And she came back and was like, I'm so sorry I didn't listen. People, listen to your daddy. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to find good things for you to watch and not waste your money on these terrible, terrible things. Well, I hope you learned a lesson, Chelsea. You're forgiven. Here's a lollipop. Wait, no, 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 no. That's, that's the one I got in Denver. It's got pot in it. Don't take that one. That is mine. That is mine. On a serious note, I want to take a minute and just say that if you know Johnny Krug, Johnny Krug has guested on the show twice. He was on the Night of the Demons episode and the Looker episode. Johnny Krug, and he's also the host of the Kruger Nation podcast, but Johnny Krug is going through some very serious trials right now. I am not at liberty to say anything else about it, but he's in a pretty tough spot. So if you know Johnny Krug, if you love Johnny Krug like I do, if you don't know Johnny Krug and you're just a kind human being with a decent heart, just take a minute and just send him some good energy. We love you, Johnny Krug. Come home soon. We'll always love you. And we're here for you when you're ready for us. So, thank you all for being patient with me this episode. Again, I apologize for the ruined audio. For those of you who watched American Gothic on YouTube and are all ready to talk about it because people seem to be getting really riled up for it, I'm sorry. It'll be coming soon. I'm sorry this episode was possibly not as polished or as up to snuff as things are, but, you know, a, a Scream Queen's got to do what a Scream Queen's got to do to get through the task at hand. And we've made it. We've come out the other side. And I hope you had some fun. I hope you learned a few things. I hope you had a few laughs. Maybe touched yourself a little bit. 
just a little bit and let's not be gross just a little you know a little whisper soft you know whoosh, a little touch just like that what's happening i don't know but i will be meeting well having a meeting with manuel canary to talk about american gothic early in october so that'll be coming out too soon and also october is here y'all it's halloween season now i'm planning to hit some haunted houses possibly out on long island my my home ground where i grew up since i've kind of done the city stuff and i want to see what else is out there and i would like to hold out an invitation to you if you have a haunt experience that you loved or you hated or you just want to call and talk about it, please do. A few years ago, I did a whole episode that was dedicated to listening to your stories of your experiences at your local haunts. And maybe it won't air until uh, November because, you know, you may not go until close to Halloween. And that's cool. That's cool. I want to hear what's going on with you. I want to hear what cool things are happening near you. Or if they're terrible, I want to know that too. This podcast is a two-way street. I'm nothing without you. Well, actually, I'm fucking fabulous without you. But you know what? I'm even more fabulous with you. I'd rather be more fabulous than just regular fabulous. What is he saying? What is he saying? Wow. Also coming up this month, I have to confirm my appointment to talk with um, two very special new guests to the show. We're going to be talking about The Sentinel from 1977, one of my favorite scary movies. So prepare accordingly. And I plan on stepping up production for the month of Halloween. I may not do a marathon like I've done in the past, like an eight-day marathon that almost killed me last time, but it depends what's going on here and what comes across my lap <laughs> or in my face. <laughs> Just not in the eye, it burns. We all know that. Less than the scream cream rule number, <laughs> number 47, don't come in your eye. Don't get come in your eye, it burns. Okay. <laughs> All right, so until next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember the number one scream queen rule, fight or flight, survive that night, make it to the final reel, babies. Daddy loves you. Bye.